welcome back to the Things We Make podcast. I'm your host, Keen Angle from DeliverableCoaching.com. On the Things We Make podcast, I talk with the top thinkers and doers in the marketing and advertising world to uncover how they make it happen. On today's episode, I chat with Mark Kalmia, executive creative producer for the Atlanta-based content agency, SageWorks. Mark talks about his origins as a professional ballet and Broadway dancer and how that led him to become an agency producer that figures out how to shoot hot dogs into space. This conversation is going to be interesting. Let's jump in. What is something about yourself that is the truth, but sounds like it's totally made up? It sounds made up, but it's true that I've had four different careers since I was 20. But I was a dancer in a ballet company and toured the world, and I was a performer on Broadway and had a bunch of shows on Broadway. And that led to filmmaking. I became a filmmaker and produced a lot of independent films, only a couple I'm proud of, but you know they were all good experiences. <laughs> it led me to a career in television, and then, then I got into advertising, and that's where, of course, you and I got to work together on some great brands. But I've been in advertising for so long. I forget that I've had these other experiences and that were honestly a big part of my self-identity and certainly how people perceived me or how they thought of me. I've been predisposed to barreling right into the things that need to happen in order to create new things because I've sort of got this fearlessness that my mother instilled in me at a very young age, this sort of lack of boundaries, if you will. And served me well. Some people might say, in fact, I was watching that movie Parasite recently, and I, it was funny. The one guy said to the other, oh, I respect someone who stays in one career. That's really good of you that, that you've been a driver your whole life. And I, and I thought to myself, shit, you know, did I make the wrong choice? Like, is that disrespectful to be in five, now five careers as I start a consultancy and, and begin to form an agency? That's multifaceted, but that's who I am. We're going to have to pause and rewind a little bit. When you say you had four careers, you've, you've actually had four completely different careers. This isn't like, yeah. oh, I was in accounting and then I became a financial planner. Like, <laughs> this is complete 180. So you started out as a dancer and most people like arm themselves from the moment they're born to like be a dancer. Was that you? Did you have that goal? No, I, I was in, my mother was a singer and she put on a, a one woman show, but it was about her life. So naturally a lot of the people that were in her life were in the show, performers themselves. And I, I come from a family of thespians. So there was always singing and dancing and performing and putting on shows. And my mom pulled me into this show at 14 and we did a number together. And then I was hooked. I got, I got, I was bit by the bug, as they say. So she exposed it to me and then I fell in love with it. And from then on, you know, sort of had to catch up, if you will. By the time I was in high school, I was invited to take dance lessons. And through that exposure, I was given basically free dance lessons. And I was dancing with these seven and eight-year-old little girls taking ballet. And there's this 17-year-old guy, young man, trying to learn what they had already learned. So I had a lot of catching up to do, but I fell in love with the dance art form in and of itself. And even while I thought at that point I was going to be on the course to theater and performing in theater, singing, dancing, and acting, because of my dance background and because it was the actually I had the least amount of training of dancing, singing, and acting dance was the weakest uh, of my abilities. So I went to NYU dance school or to Tisch to, to uh, major in dance and really just dive straight into it. And then from there, I had a really terrific career as a concert dancer, met my wife and we toured the world performing for Ballet Hispanico. But that led me to doing the film 
Chicago, it exposed me to cameras and technology and the scale uh, was so much larger than anything I'd experienced. Even after having done a few shows on Broadway, it was in the film world that I really found myself, I should say. And I came home and basically left a show on Broadway, bought a bunch of gear, cameras, and by then laptops were beginning to be affordable, et cetera. And so I just inundated myself with filmmaking and made several shorts. And then I was still applying acting and certainly storytelling throughout. And then finding out that I was really a producer, honestly, which is really odd because I was a DP and an editor at that point in my filmmaking career. And then I was applying those very skills to advertising and making content for brands. But really at the heart of everything was my ability to gather people around an idea to sort of push forward through those barriers we create for ourselves that tell us we, we shouldn't be doing this or this can't be done or it's not how the world works, et cetera. And advertising with those skills gave me a really great place to break even more barriers for different brands, you know? So went to Tish, yeah. was a dancer at the global level for how many years again were you touring as a dancer? Well, four years of school and then three years in concert dance before I convinced my wife, who was a principal dancer in the ballet company we were in, that we should go and make some more money than we were we were making, um, you know, <laughs> and that life could be better in the commercial theater. And that was sort of like a homecoming for me was to get back to the classic shows, West Side Story and so forth. And so she and I both left the concert dance and then for a good six or seven years of full tilt performing either on Broadway or in shows that were touring around the States before filmmaking. Gotcha. So you did Broadway, then into filmmaking. And how many years were you making films for? Probably another six years. So that's 12 to 15 years of dance and film production. What made you decide to want to become a producer? What was the tipping point there? Well, it was in the movie Chicago where I was a performer and we were working in Toronto for six months, given how the scale, like I said, of making a feature film, it just took so much longer. I had a lot of downtime. I was involved in a lot of scenes, but then instead of driving back to New York and then coming back when it was my turn to shoot again, I just stayed in Toronto and stayed on sets. And I just couldn't believe how many parts had to come together to make this film. And that was the turning point. I wanted to make films. And then I thought I was going to be a DP. My wife and I had a child at that time. And I realized very quickly that being a DP meant being away from your family for two to three months at a time on a film. And, you know, the, the, the next turning point for me was I had a show where we were interviewing people of or about 100 years old. We had some issues with the co-founders that I was working with, and it legally got really tangled up. And that's when I realized, wow, I actually have this other side that I hadn't really tapped into, which was an understanding of logistics and it taught me a lot about preparation and business. Later, after working for a few years at NBC, the advent of digital and you know websites were new. Facebook wasn't here yet. So I was hired to create a studio of web designers and content creators to essentially build NBC.com. You know, there was everything from news to lifestyle, music, politics. This is 2005, I think. We were given a 60-page deck. They had basically put our content in a focus group and then asked people for feedback. And I couldn't believe the data that was inside. Uh, you know, at 18 seconds, 
82% of your audience skipped away from this particular video. So how do we adapt? Instead of turning it off, let's listen to it. Let's learn from it. Let's see if we can push that number farther out than just 18 seconds. You know, While most people shunned it, I became obsessed with these decks and this data. In advertising, I was much more welcome. <laughs> there were a lot of people, yeah. you know, everybody in advertising yeah. for the most part, except for the extreme creatives, were happy to hear that feedback. As soon as you were exposed to data at NBC, was that the turning point where you're like, I think there's a better way to make content. I'm all in on content. And was that what compelled you to go over to the agency side? Yes, 100%. Well, that and I was laid off <laughs> uh, <laughs> after three years. And I think we created something like 65 pilots. The most successful piece that we made at NBC is a, is a piece called The Easter Bunny Hates You. One of our friends, Nelson Castro, jumped into a giant Easter bunny suit. For 50 bucks, we rented it. We destroyed it, by the way. <laughs> we went all over the city and we just said, hey, you guys are throwing Frisbees. You do mind if we just jump in here with you and shoot a little bit? You sign a waiver. And they were like, oh yeah, man, it's the Easter Bunny. And then the Easter Bunny would just pull fake punches and trip them and they'd go along with it. And then we were like, well, we're on to something. This is really funny. People think the Easter Bunny is so sweet. And here he is just beating people up in the middle of nowhere. So I was hooked, dude. I was hooked. And Facebook was it was there. And now brands were like, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out Facebook. So I joined this little tiny shop called Big Fuel. And I got my first creative director title. And I haven't looked back, man. I've been in advertising since. So that was in 2007, jumped out of NBC Universal into the advertising world. What are some of your most noteworthy projects you've helped produce in the last 13 years? Some of the most proud moments I have even today are some of the things that we worked on together over at 360i for Oscar Mayer. We just had the good fortune of the right personalities assembled both in, inside the agency and on the brand side that were willing to take risks. And particularly with Bacon, that has a unique audience and a unique following. A lot of people just go crazy for Bacon. One of the things we did was we created something called the Bacon Barter, where a guy had a truck full of bacon, but no cash and no credit cards and no place to stay. And he had to get from New York to LA with just bacon and trading and bartering that for gas, for a place to sleep. Of course, there was a crew in a, a small motorhome following him with cameras because that's what I did. And that's something I'm really proud of. Question on your personal style when it comes to producing. How would you kind of describe your ethos and what you bring into the workplace when you're just starting a new project or when you're managing a project? The thing that's most important to me, and it always has been, not being beholden to what was already done or what the boundaries were or what we've been told is possible. So many people stop short of the idea because they can't get outside of that box. If they hadn't seen it, they wouldn't think it was possible. And I've always started and ended the creation process by pushing beyond what we thought was possible. And that's it's served me well. That's something that now I realize it's integral to what I do. You know, there are many things we tried on that side that didn't work. Like I remember a creative director asking me, you know, I want a mariachi band to have jetpacks and to fly up out of a pond and land on the surface of the ground there in front of us and then play us a song. And I was like, okay, well, 
there's a way we can do that. Maybe not with jetpacks, you know, <laughs> but you know, maybe there's a way. Like I can think there's some cables that might create the same movement. Right away, I'm predisposed to thinking, okay, I know what the barriers probably are, but let's just keep pushing the idea until we find a way that isn't restricted. But another one, actually, with these two creative directors, they wanted to shoot laser engraved hot dogs into space. And I already knew jet fuel was expensive at that point for that other idea, but I knew there was a way. I knew there was a way. And sure enough, there is. We didn't sell the brand entirely on that idea, but I was proud to say that that particular idea, yes, we could laser engrave a hot dog. And then secondly, there's international water and there are actually payload platforms where you can fire a rocket and with enough jet fuel, again, you can get yourself out of the atmosphere and into space. So I knew that was possible and I was, I didn't flinch when that one showed up, you know, and in fact, I had a, <laughs> I had a proposal. <laughs> really, really interesting stories. I love how hearing how things get done and also just the ridiculous requests that you get from creative directors. <laughs> what do you think is something when people are working with you that they usually misinterpret when you're on a project with them? I can suppose that Again, I'm pushing beyond the boundaries of if it's the idea itself or just how hard we should work to achieve it. Not everybody has the same desire to actually see if we can shoot a hot dog into space. I really want to find that out. I really want to do it at the cost of pushing the people around me to work as hard as I am or to work harder than they are, let's say. The people that didn't resist that with me were the best partners I've had. And they didn't, they weren't all creative folks. Some of the best account supervisors and business managers that I've worked with, they share the same desire. And while we still might get there a different way, they work just as hard and, and push just as far. A good example in recent years, something I did here at BBDO in Atlanta with a company called Street Grace. This was about helping people who are victims of human trafficking. Once I became aware of what their experience has been, focused all that same kind of energy that I was talking about before into how can I share what this experience is with other people so that they understand how serious it is and we can actually do something about it. So it was a vacant, really beautiful mansion in Decatur, Georgia, and we rented it for a couple of weeks and turned it into what was a house where people were bought and sold. Um, it wasn't real. We had actors that were being held in the basement in this really dingy, drug-laden environment, um, dark and you know just like you'd imagine, and. Um, and you were invited into this house and kind of toured through it as though you were just visiting. And the guy would offer you a beer and he was the host and had all these people down below. And he was running this whole operation that then you got to experience in a nonlinear way. So this was the first time I actually called upon the theater experience that I'd had. Certainly the cameras and the technology that we use to create these visuals and, and different content experiences after even 360 cameras and so that we could really give people an immersive experience that would allow them to understand what this looks and what it felt like to be a spectator and even what it felt like to be auctioned and sold on a stage in this crazy basement. It was alive. And the experience people had wasn't linear. They could be pulled into different rooms. You know, a good example is uh, Sleep No More that Punch Drunk created in New York City by taking over that hotel and they put on that whole 
three-hour Macbeth performance and you as an audience are sort of anonymously floating of your own volition and then every now and then people will grab you and pull you actors will pull you into different rooms or you know into a different type of experience so it is very non-linear but it's very alive and incredibly fulfilling as a performer and as a as an audience member and that's what we sought to create so that we could in this human trafficking environment really give people the insight so that they could change their minds about this and realize, okay, that's a very real thing that's happening. Now I'm moved to do something about it versus looking at it outside of my life, outside of myself, you know? That sounds incredibly intense, <laughs> incredibly ambitious, quite honestly, as well. Speaking of ambition to people out there who are trying to create something new and that has never been done before and may think about giving up, what would you say to them? Well, just as I said to the producer who was on my staff, who, when the creative director said, we want to create a house where you could go through it and understand what the world of human trafficking is about. And I had a digital web producer who just knocked it out of the park, but she was mortified, petrified. You know, what's the first thing you can do to produce something like that? And so my advice to her and my advice to to anyone, as we used to say in dance, just put one foot in front of the other and you just start pulling it apart. You just grab onto one little piece of it and then define that, enumerate that, and then move to the next one and the next one and the next one. And before you know it, you've got a string of components and now you've defined them and now you can then get to where do I go and get something like this or how do I create something like this? And who's the right person to build this component. So when we hear the idea from the creative director in advertising, when they say, I want to do this, what you think of is, you know, right away, that's huge. That's impossible. But like I said, with a little bit of jet fuel, an international payload and some hot dogs, you actually can get a hot dog into space. It is possible, but it's a long string of smaller little bites, no pun intended. Right away, tell yourself that just take the first step and unwind it. You know, I think that's a perfect place to wrap things up for today. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us about ballet and shooting hot dogs into space at the same time. <laughs> Very insightful. So thanks so much, man. It's a pleasure, man. Did you know that agencies whose clients are satisfied with their deliverables are seven times more likely to award that agency with an increase in their scope of work over the next year? This is because how we talk about our ideas in the professional world is everything. And what tool do we always use? Presentations. If your professional decks are anything less than stellar, visit deliverablecoaching.com to start leveling up your deck storytelling and design skills today. Thanks for listening to the Things We Make podcast. We'll see you next time.